Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm thrilled to be in the studio every week sitting down with some wonderful women in the Philadelphia area and across the country as well who are doing some great things. And today we have a local woman. Her name is Autumn Bales. Autumn is the Vice President of Global Operational Excellence for Aramark which is a $13 billion global food service company. Did I get that all right? You did. Thank you so much for being here today. It's my pleasure. Um, as I always do on my show, I want to find out a little bit more about you and um, where you came from and, and a little bit about your life experience that led you to this position. So um, I'm going to let you talk for a few minutes about your years growing up in Bethlehem. I understand you were born in Maryland. Right. But um, in fourth grade, you moved to Bethlehem. And I think that's a pivotal year, fourth grade, for a young girl. It was a rough transition. I bet. I bet. So um, what took you there, number one, and, and what were those years like growing up there? You know, it's a story probably similar to many others where my father got transferred. His new job was up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So we packed up the family and, you know, moved up there. Um, I think I was nine at the time. I was in fourth grade. Mm -hmm. And I remember it being a rough transition because the uh, uh, children at the school, I think, were not overly welcoming when I showed up. And I was used to growing up in Maryland where it was more... Uh, you know, I didn't have that type of issue. So, yeah. you know, I'm nine, thrown into a new place, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit of a rough entry, <laughs> uh, as we call it. But then everything sort of settled down, and then Bethlehem was my home until um, I moved to Philadelphia when I was 22. Okay. Was the, the, I mean, there's a big difference between Maryland and Bethlehem. You know, mm -hmm. Bethlehem is pretty rural. Um, were, did you live in a suburb in, uh, in Maryland? Hagerstown was rural as well. Yeah. So I grew up in Hagerstown, Maryland, which was a pretty, you know, country looking, you know, suburb. So yeah. I don't even remember there being, I think the big city was Baltimore and it was quite far away. Yeah. Okay. So Bethlehem was actually a little bit bigger from that sense because Allentown, you know, was there and was a little bit larger. Yeah. And you went to Catholic school? I did. I was a Catholic school girl. Catholic I wore the plaid skirt. Yeah. I did too. Proudly I can relate right? to that. <laughs> <laughs> I did 16 years of Catholic school. So. All right. Wow. Uh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about those years. You know, Catholic school is quite different from public school, even more so today. How did that come Kind of shape who you are uh, and, and you know what kind of stayed with you from those years you know it suited me well I think because of the rigor and discipline that was part of the program but also the moral compass piece where mm -hmm. you know it was different than you know some of the messages I hear today you know from the Catholic Church as an adult um, it was more around being a good person and making sure that you treat others fairly and that you're always looking out for those who are less fortunate from you. So I still remember those kind of messages. And yeah. I really appreciated the guidance that I got from my Catholic school years. Yeah. Sometimes, I, you know, we talk in here about schooling all the time and what's beneficial for girls in particular, whether it's an all-girls setting or not. And, um, you know, Catholic school sometimes, you know, depending on who you are, can feel restricted 
or, you know, you really just take what you said, you know, there's a constant daily reminder about, you know, being charitable and, and looking out for others. So, so it's a good thing. And how about high school? Where did you go to high school? Bethlehem Catholic. So okay. went, you know, continued the Catholic school thing. And what was great about Bethlehem Catholic, it was big. So you had some great experiences and it was really um, strong in the sports arena and the athletics. So our football team was awesome. It generated oh. a lot of school spirit. So it was really fun to be there um, at that time. Yeah. Did you play sports? Um, badly. Uh, so I never... <laughs> That's okay. Right, you I was, tried. I was, I was a terrible... Um, so by the time I got to high school, I sort of hung up my towel and realized it wasn't a, a strength of mine. But I did go to all the football games, and I'm still a huge uh, football fan today. Okay. I am too. Mm-hmm. Um, so what activities were you involved in in high school? I did all the sort of nerdy activities, I guess. That, you know, I was uh, one of the editors of the newspaper. I was on the yearbook staff. A uh, big fan of Key Club, the service organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Did a lot of work there, went to all the conventions. Um, so I did all, you know, sort of that type of thing. Yeah. Um, so you went on to Lehigh mm-hmm. and you graduated with an engineering degree, industrial engineering. Yes, industrial engineering. Which is not an easy field or major. Um I wanted to ask you first, you know, when you were young, did you always have those aspirations to go into that area? So when I was a little girl, I was always into science and my father's a chemist, which probably, okay. you know, is an interesting point. Yeah. Um, so he was always talking about, you know, things that maybe the typical father wouldn't go into. Hey, Autumn, look at these rocks, you know, look at the <laughs> geological formations. So we had a very tight relationship, you know, built around science and I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister did not. So I was the one that sort of, you know, was into that type of thing. Um, yeah, I played video games. I could beat a lot of the boys in the video games. So I was always a bit science oriented. Yeah. Originally, I did want to be an astronaut. So that oh, was my wow. original aspiration. Yeah, I love um, that. But I'm incredibly nearsighted. So that sort of fell apart pretty oh, quickly. Okay. okay. <laughs> How about your mom? Did she work outside the house? No, my mother is a homemaker. And to be you know, it's a, sort of an ironic story. She actually wanted me to be one, too. So her dream for me was that I would do well in school, but then go have a family. Aww. And she never really wanted me to, she never really pushed me to have a career. So I always joke with her that I'm her worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> now, what's her background? Because sometimes that's a very cultural thing, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, I find um, certain um, nationalities tend to think that that's what, you know, young women should aspire to. And then other, you know, cultural backgrounds, uh, you know, are more business-centered. Yeah, so she is, uh, you know, of Italian heritage, but, you know, far removed from the original immigrants that came over. Yeah, yeah. Um, had, a, had a job originally herself, uh, I think did quite well at it, but then made the choice to, you know, stay home with the family. Yeah. And then I think at the time, because, you know, I think it was more popular to do that back then mm-hmm. um, than maybe today where people feel like they have some more choices. Yeah. So... You know, I just chose the path that I've gone down. But as I said, she's not, you know, at times has not been overly happy with yeah. my choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I'm impressed because, um, you know, we we are trying to encourage more young women to go into the STEM field in mm-hmm. general. And, and we know and you know that they offer a lot of value from a creative standpoint in the sciences and the math and, and technology Absolutely. even. So um, I'm always impressed, you know, someone like you that not only did you find that interest, but you pursued it, you know, vigorously mm-hmm. and steadfast and stayed in it. It was all about the astronaut thing. So I figured, well, if yeah. I can't be an astronaut, maybe I can build the spaceships. Yeah. You know, so when you're six, this sounds like a great idea. Uh, and then as I got older and got into more of the technical details of what it entailed, 
you know, I looked at computer engineering and then industrial engineering fit something else that's part of my personality where I like to be a little broader and more flexible. Okay. So it, it offered a, a combination of business as well as, you know, engineering concepts. Yeah. And that was very appealing to me. Yeah. Um, what was the ratio, if you know, in general of men to women in um, the classroom? <laughs> it was like one to a hundred. <laughs> was you and uh, against the world? Once I got to engineering school. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, again, I, I, I am always impressed by that because I think, you know, when you're trying to pursue a field that's historically male dominated, um, you know, there's sometimes intimidation. I don't get that sense from you. Not my problem, right? Not that was your not problem. My issue. <laughs> that was not your issue. I love hanging out with the guys. You know, we had a great time and it was, you know, it was a fun experience. So yeah. I never really cared that there weren't more women around. So it was never, a, you know, there was never a barrier. You didn't feel barriers, I should say. No, and I think I'm just don't have that type of personality where I I will speak up, you know, I will interrupt, you know, I will do things that you need to get your voice heard. Yeah, are are you? Um, I I believe you're involved in some mentoring. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And what are some of the things you say to young women that are, you know, looking to pursue um, something in the field, you know, of STEM, but don't quite have that confidence that you did? I tell them to speak up. Um, and also, I lay out the business case. So, hey, there's, you know, these are fields where you can make a great living. They're mm-hmm. interesting. They're making a difference in the type of science and research that you can do. So it's appealing, and we definitely need more women. I feel like what happens is women get turned off to the field when they're in the sandbox. You know, it's like that far back. Right, it is. That people are dissuading them from going into this field. And I recall a few incidents myself where that did happen. Yeah. Um, where people say, well, you can't do that. That's not what women do. Well, even your own mother, right? She, right. Well, <laughs> she felt that you, that's not an area that you should be in. Well, she was okay with me pursuing the academic side. It was the practice that sort of was the piece that fell apart. Um, so she always encouraged me to pursue the non-traditional academics. Okay. So Good. she was a little bit of a maverick that way. Yeah. But I had many teachers who told me not to do certain things. Even one of the, I remember one of the nuns at my high school told me, why would you want to take calculus, Autumn? I don't understand. You should just wow. do you know, this instead. And I, I ignored her. Yeah. I'm surprised. I mean, you're, you know, you're younger than me. I'm surprised that a, that a, a nun would say that again, I, I consider it kind of in this day and time, it wasn't, you know, a hundred years ago when they couldn't even, um, you know, picture young women in the science and the math fields. Um, and she was a math teacher. That was actually the, oh, the scary part about it. Yeah. Um, and I have an earlier memory. I remember when I was about five or six, we were supposed to draw what we wanted to be when we grew up. <clears throat> and I drew a doctor. I guess that was one of my phases you know, at the time. Astronaut, and, uh, doctor, right, whatever. Physicist. You know, um, it's very foreign <laughs> to me. <laughs> one of the kids said to me, well, gee, that's, you know, that's kind of strange. Women are supposed to be like waitresses and nurses. So I remember changing the thing to a nurse. But mm-hmm. then I didn't want to take it home because I knew my mother would say, well, why did you change it from a doctor? Yeah. So I remember I threw it on the floor of the bus and somebody found it and brought it to me. And I was like, oh, I can't get rid of this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So tell me about what you did when you first graduated. I know you went to uh, Wharton and and got your MBA. That was later on. Yes. A couple years. Okay. So out of um, Lehigh, what was your first job? So right out of Lehigh, I went and worked for Pricewaterhouse as a management consultant. Okay. I know, you know, when I was reading your background and your your profile and um, I, I noticed there's been a couple changes. And I wanted to ask you if that is purposeful because you enjoy a challenge and something new, or is that kind of the natural progression of things in in the corporate world in in the work that you did? In other words, your move from Coopers to um, 
uh, so there was always baking. There was always something that happened. Um, so originally, I did leave PricewaterhouseCoopers to work in the internet space, in the venture capital space. Mm-hmm. I call it my internet tour of duty. Uh, and it was because at the time, it was 1999, you know, that everybody was getting super wealthy off of all these, you know, startup ideas. And it was very exciting. And I was at Wharton at the time. And so it just seemed like a natural thing to pursue. A speaker came to Wharton, recruited me to work for his venture capital fund. And that's how that happened. Yeah. Um, but then over time, I realized I actually missed some of the rigor and culture of Pricewaterhouse. So I went back. Which everybody's always surprised at. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Most people leave there and they don't go back there, right? Right. So I I went back, and I went back before everything fell apart too, which also surprised people. So it's important for me to be happy. Yeah. And you know, have a passion about what I'm doing. And it wasn't that I wasn't happy there. I learned a lot, and I'm glad I did it. It was just that I missed the really the culture and how I felt like part of this family that I went back to Price Waterhouse. So that was break number one. Right. And then break number two was because of a major incident. Pricewaterhouse sold their consulting division as a result of all the Enron fallout. So they believed that an accounting firm should not own, you know, a consulting firm, which was thrown around at the time as part of, you know, maybe the big four accounting firms should do this. Mm -hmm. Some of them did and some of them didn't. And uh, so that caused, you know, break number two where we were sold to IBM. IBM, great company, obviously very successful, uh, but so large. And again, I missed that feeling I had of being part of this family. So I got a call from Tasty Cake um, and they were looking for a CIO and it just seemed like a logical jump. Okay. So they, they pursued you. I was, you know, going to ask what precipitated that move. And of course, you know, we all know about the, um, uh, is it Flowers Foods that, mm-hmm. that purchased? Taste- and that's major event number. <laughs> so, no, you know, there's yes. always a major event involved. Yeah. So, uh, you know, actually, a colleague from Wharton went to work at Tasty Cake, had asked me for my opinion on should he do that. And then when he moved over there, he was the one who made the phone call, you know, about the open role. Yeah. I worked at Tasty Cake for a long time, worked there for eight years, which is long, I guess, in today's uh, definition. Yeah. Um, and then we had, you know, sold the company to Flowers Foods, worked for Flowers for a little bit, um, but they're headquartered in a different geography than Philadelphia. And I, at this point, consider myself a Philadelphia gal. Yeah. So, yeah. I uh, wanted to stay close to the family and, you know, Flowers was flexible in terms of where I resided, but I knew that if I wanted to pursue the type of career that I wanted, I would need to be close to, you know, the headquarters type yeah. of thing. So that's when I sort of pursued a different option. Okay. Tell me what it was like to be a part of of, of a deal like that, you know, especially in Philadelphia. Everyone loves, mm-hmm. you know, Tasty Baking mm-hmm. Company. Nobody wanted to see it go. <clears throat> and I I, I would love to, you know, kind of be behind the doors of the negotiations and how you all made that happen. Um, you know, it was a, an emotional roller coaster. Um, I loved the company and it was, you know, part of a emotional investment as much of a professional investment as right. well. And I believe very much in the cause of Philadelphia, the iconic Tasty Cakes belong here, which is why we did some of the actions that we did in order to build a new bakery here in Philadelphia mm-hmm. so that, you know, the um, product would be local still which a lot of other products, you know, have, have left and gone elsewhere. Right. Um, you know, Flowers, terrific partner, um, great company, um, seemed like a natural fit for what we were looking for. Mm-hmm. And um, we're very pleased with the operations here in Philadelphia. Um, a lot a lot of your background has been in multiple areas of business. So in other words, you've done consulting mm-hmm. and you've done um, product strategies and sales. And is there an area in particular that you like better than another or is it the whole moving parts of business and a company that you enjoy 
so, you know, it goes back to what I said, why I chose industrial engineering. I like a little flexibility. Yeah. You know, I'm not really an expert. Yeah, you know, I have expertise in certain areas, mm -hmm. but I don't really want to be just one-sided or even two-sided or three-sided. I like doing a lot of different things. I'm really grateful that the companies I've worked for have allowed me to sort of flex and move in between types of disciplines. Yeah. Um, and that's part of, I like to be busy. I like to have different things going on. So it's kind of fueled my interest in my career. Can you talk a little bit about what's happening with Aramark and diversity and inclusion and what types of programs that uh, they're doing to, to kind of further that? Sure. So, you know, Aramark's a public company, so I'm, you know, officially not formally, you know, allowed to speak on their behalf in that context. But I can tell you from my personal experience there, um, you know, Aramark is a great company, believes strongly in the power of diversity and uh, very much in encouraging different types of voices and views to be heard. Um, one of the reasons I chose the company when I was looking for, you know, a new place to start my career. One of the reasons was you're saying because, uh, because they of their, focus on that. Yes, because yeah. I knew the commitment to diversity and the, their policies were very friendly in yeah. that way. So it was one of the selling points to me as to why I think Aramark's a great company. Yeah. Can, what are some of the specific things they're doing? In other words, there's um, there's a lot of bringing awareness to the to the importance of having a more diverse um, mm -hmm. board, C-suite, um, but women in particular, because this show is about women. Yes. Um, what are some of the things you personally feel will make a difference? In other words, um, there's a lot of initiatives where we bring women together for networking purposes, and there's workshops and speakers that try to help um women move up in the positions in the companies rather that they're already in what do you think some of the specific strategies are that will make a difference and you know I've given great thought to this because you know after being in a career now for over 20 years I run into this a lot with some of the women that I mentor and work with and also I belong to a, a group you probably saw in my bio the forum of executive women yes and we spend a lot of time thinking how to improve the representation of women in the executive suites and also on boards. Right. It's really one of our big focus areas. Yes. Um, and I think it's actually very complicated and multifaceted. Mm -hmm. So, you know, part of me believes you really have to catch a little girl back in the sandbox, as I said, and make sure they feel that they can pursue whatever is interesting to them and there aren't some things that are cooler or less cool. It's whatever you're into. Yes. Um, and some little girls are going to be into it and some of them aren't. You want to catch the ones who are into it and make sure they don't get dissuaded or thrown off the path. Yeah. So I think there's that. Mm -hmm. um, <clears> then <throat> there's the women who get there, um, pursue these types of, uh, you know, high powered endeavors. And it could be in STEM, as we talked about before. Or it could just be in general business or just, you know, any any path that's going to move them up the ladder. And I think then they need encouragement. And I know it sounds it's kind of simple. Right. It does. Yes. <laughs> but I think they just need encouragement. And I can think of a few pivotal moments in my career where there was somebody took one second to say something to me. I still remember it. Yes. And that's what caused me to take a different path. So one of the areas that we've pursued and why I believe in the mentorship thing, which, of course, you know, the companies I've worked for have been espousing that as well. Um, and well, as well as the work I do at the forum is we do run a mentoring program mm -hmm. um, to help give that confidence. Yes, you can do it. Hey, I've done it. It can be done. Mm -hmm. That type of little encouragement, because as I said, I think sometimes everybody just needs that one little snippet. And then that's what makes a difference in them going forward. And I said, I have my own personal stories, you know, around those little snippets. Yeah. Can, can you tell, share a story of, of, of uh, someone sure. saying something to you that stuck with you? The, my favorite one, and I've, you know, used it in the past is uh, one of the members of the forum, actually, um, 
I was in a work situation. You know, it always happens where there's some conflict that you have with one of your colleagues over something, you know, common. This one was particularly grating, you know, and and bothering me because I'm not really into conflict. I prefer, like many women, we prefer to collaborate and have the agenda move forward in a positive way without having to really get nasty. Mm -hmm. Um, This one was starting to get into the the nasty Mm -hmm. realm, not on my side, but on the other other side. Um, So I showed up at one of our meetings and I think I was a bit downtrodden. And, you know, the forum member just kind of looked at me and said, hey, what's what's going on? You seem a bit upset. And I said, you know, I'm just having a bit of a rough time with one of my relationships at work. And it's really starting to make me understand why many women walk away from corporate America. (laughs) And that's Mm -hmm. what I said to her. And this woman owned her own business. And I looked at her and I said, is that why you left? Because she had previously been in corporate America. And she said, actually, yes, yes, it is. She's like, but you don't do that. She's like, you just stay there, you stick around, and you work it out. And she's like, and I guarantee if you can just be a little tougher and just stick this one out. And she said, don't compromise. You know, you don't have to be like the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, but just stick it out, and I guarantee it'll get better. And she's like, that's what we need people to do, to s- just stick it out. Yeah. So I kind of thought about what she said, and I went to work the next day. And, you know, it wasn't much better the next day. But then the next week, you know, something changed. Um, and you know, the next thing I know, all of a sudden it's moving in a much more positive direction. Mm. And I thought very much about what she said. And that was probably 12 years ago, you know, at this point, still remember it, still remember, you know, I was ready to write in my, my, my working papers and say, I'm done with this Yeah, really. and go do something else. Um, but that one little thing she said, and it doesn't seem when I mentioned it to her today, excuse me. Um, she's like, oh, that wasn't a big deal, but it was to me. Yeah. That does happen often. It's, it's, they catch you at the right moment. Mm -hmm. And, and and I think probably part of what she was saying is you become the example. So in other words, when you said don't compromise, um, you know, there's always going to be differences of opinion. But in your staying to the professional that you are, you become an example for that person. I think over time they start to realize, you know, their tactics aren't necessarily going to work. And it wasn't. It's interesting. The solution wasn't that the person changed their demeanor. It was that they themselves left the company. So, you know, it just sort of I outlasted that, you know, (laughs) Um, but it happens. And I think it was just a bit of a wake up call when you're a young professional. You know, it's really all about the work Mm -hmm. and how you demonstrate and, you know, you get along with your team and all that. As you get a little further along the chain, it becomes a little more political. Yeah. And I think that that's where a lot of women start to question whether they want to play. Yeah, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't doesn't feel feel good. So every time a woman comes to me with this exact same situation, I say to them, listen, it's part of the job. Um, you don't have to be that way, but you do have to understand how to play the game properly. Mm-hmm. And I sort of coach them through how to maintain your own integrity, but still be able to move forward. Because I said that I think is a common derailer of women. They just, it makes them a little uncomfortable and it gets up in those little higher echelons and you have to really be a little more political. Yeah. Well, and I think too, you know, when <clears throat> that phrase, learn how to play the game, mm-hmm. that doesn't feel good either. But I don't know that it's necessary. You're not playing a game. You're just learning how to maneuver in corporate settings right. where you it's know, part of business. Have, it's part of business. It yeah. is part of business and you have to learn how to deal with it. You can play by your set of standards, but, you know, either you engage or you have to find something else to do. Yeah. Tell me what your thoughts are on, you know, uh, men. um perspective on women in leadership and what role they should be playing in being supportive and encouraging and, um, you know, supporting the fact that that women need that kind of encouragement. I think they it's more of an awareness thing for them. Many men, I've had many men who have been great mentors and champions for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think sometimes they're not necessarily aware that a woman needs something a little different. Mm-hmm. And, and But once they have that awareness, which is becoming more common, I see them making those efforts. You know, the guys who care about it. And uh, I think it's just a little easier sometimes when they're relating to another man where they kind of get each other a little bit more. Um, and then sometimes maybe you have to do things a little bit differently with some of your women. Some of them you don't. Like, I don't know if any of the men that mentored me would say they had to do anything different for me because I think I act a little bit more like one of the guys. Yeah. Um, how about a story about, you know, a particular male in your life who has been, you know, inspirational for you or, um, you know, has affected your work in some way? So it's interesting. I have, you know, many, I've had many bosses and they've all taught me something different. Um, and the one that springs to mind, and I won't name any names because, you know, I've only had that, you know, you could really probably figure it out if you, <laughs> if you looked at the list. Um, but the toughest boss I ever had taught me the most. So the one that was very difficult to work for where, you know, there were some days I was like, oh, can I really do this? I had to have a lot of emotional fortitude mm-hmm. um, was the one when I walked away. I was like, wow, I really grew and developed a lot from this this person's influence on me. Yeah. What What are some of the things that are difficult for you day to day? You know, you, you've been in leadership roles for many, many years. And, it you know, it takes a certain kind of person. You have to motivate your team. You have to make sure that everyone feels that, you know, what they have to say is, is valuable. And what are some of your personal difficulties in your day-to-day business as a leader? So I think as leaders, um, we have to remember that there's this team that relies on us for direction, influence, you know, support, encouragement, development, all Mm -hmm. these things. And there are times we get very caught up in our work and moving to the goal, you know, which is usually some sort of financial value or or something like that, that I think it's easy to forget about some of the softer side of things. So one of the things that I personally work on is remembering that. And so I'll say, okay, I'm going to stop thinking about, you know, formulas or whatever the heck, you know, thing I'm working on. And I'm going to go take some time and just hang out with the team. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's that balance. Right. And it's not hard to do. It's just remembering to do that Mm. and really remembering, I learned an important lesson as a very young manager. So my very first management experience, um, I was fortunate enough to be able to offer one of the women who worked for me a promotion and she sort of looked horrified at this suggestion. And I did not get this at all because I'm, I was very ambitious myself and any promotion I eagerly sort of ate up. Um, and I remember going to my male you know, boss at the time and said, you know, I do not grasp why she's almost seems, you know, horrified that I suggested this promotion to her. Was I'm she like, scared, afraid? I, um, I'm trying to remember the specifics of it. I think maybe she wasn't interested in the direction or the, the field that it, the function maybe that it was about. Okay. Or maybe she wasn't um, interested in taking on a leadership role. Hmm. It was something that to me was just completely. Not I, the response you were looking for. Not or- just that, but I couldn't grasp why anybody would think that way. You know, because it was totally against what I thought. And my boss looked at me and he said, Autumn, he's like, she's not you. She's like, why would you think everybody's going to think like you? And that stuck with me. Mm. And I was like, oh, I'm like, OK, I mean, the guy's got a point. <laughs> <laughs> maybe people have different agendas and goals and outcomes that they're looking for. And maybe they don't all think like me. So it was a it was a self-awareness kind of knock. Yeah. You know, I was probably 24. Yeah. Um, we need those. You know, we right. always need those. And and that's that's a great reminder and something I think <laughs> people often, you know, we have our own thoughts and ideas and we think that everybody has the same and they don't. So that's why I think one of the greatest um, gifts of a good leader is to be a good listener. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And right. understand. And that just taught me, that's actually probably one of the most pivotal lessons I ever learned because then I realized that no matter who I was talking to, my client, uh, somebody who worked for me, my boss, you know, anybody, that their agenda was probably quite different than mine. Mm-hmm. And it has enabled me, it was sort of building a little emotional intelligence. So now, no matter where I am or what I'm doing, I always think about what is this person's goal? How does it differ from mine? And then how can we both be happy? And it really allows me to, um, you know, influence much better than I did before that moment. Right. When I was just sort of like, what's wrong with you? Right. you know? <laughs> what do you mean you don't want to retire? And she probably thought I was a jerk, you know. <laughs> I want to know, I want to know where, where this ambition in you came from. Where do you, where do you think that developed? And again, um, I say often that you can't tell someone's story without starting at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as young girls playing in the sandbox, you know, typically the messages are, you know, more, uh, they're different than the messages right. the boys are receiving. Where did this ambition in you develop? Actually, I, I, there's some things that I believe come, as I say, out of the box, right? So I think the moment I was born, um, you know, there were certain things Genetic. that genetically built in there because I have an early memory of being at swim class. You know, I was probably like three or four. And I remember the instructor, my mom came over and, you know, my sister and I were there splashing in the pool. And the instructor looked at and he said, pointed at me, and said, this one's very ambitious. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, you know, diving off the... Um, and I, I remember the word being used um, because then when people would say later on, you're very ambitious, I'm like, yeah, the pool guy said I was. <laughs> yeah. I've been that way since I was <laughs> <Right>. four. <laughs> exactly. So there are certain traits I, I didn't try to grow. I don't know if my parents did or not. And I look at my sister. We grew up in the exact same household. Mm-hmm. Yet we have very different personalities. Yeah. And I think some of it just comes out of the box. Yeah. I, it's such an interesting topic to me. <laughs> you know, how much of us is wired and right. and, and genetic and how much is developed. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about that in, okay. in a moment. We're going to take a quick break and we will be back with Autumn Bales, Vice President of Global Operational Excellence for Aramark. Are you looking for something special to wear to an event, on a date, or out with the girls? Nevada is a Philadelphia-based luxury label designed for the effortlessly chic global nomad. Our ready-to-wear and custom pieces, which include bridal wear by the way, are inspired by artistry and travel. The line is intriguing and exotic. After all, fashion should create a sense of escape. So go ahead, escape with Nevada and make a timeless impression. Please visit us online at nevadacouture.com. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the city of life. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip, or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WW. 
WFDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined today by Autumn Bales. And Autumn is the Vice President of Global Operational Excellence for Aramark, um, which is here in Philadelphia. And um, just before the break, we were talking about trying to decide or determine <laughs> for sure whether we're genetically wired and that is, you know, what shapes us and who we are or whether it comes from kind of our our background and our growing up years. Um and I, I think it has to be a combination of both. Absolutely. Because certainly if you were four and the coach, the swim coach said that you were ambitious at four, then that's, you know, that was part of who you are. Um, I wondered what you what your take is on um, education and young women and and whether it, it is necessarily more valuable to be in an all girls environment um, <clears throat> versus um, co-ed. You know, so that's an interesting discussion because I have two young girls, little right. girls myself. Yes. Um, so I'm going to have to make some choices for them. And mm-hmm. I, I think, first of all, the environment is critically important. Yeah. So per, you know, our conversation, I feel like you come out of a box, you know, the box the certain way where you have certain things that are wired in you, but they can either be cultivated or killed. Yeah. And that doesn't mean, you know, some women come to me and say, look, I'm not naturally confident. Can I become confident? I do believe that things can be developed as well. Yes. So not to say if you don't have a predisposition, you know, you're done. Um, but I do think the environment, especially the schooling years, are critically important for, you know, little girls and boys, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, to shape, you know, which direction they go. Uh, I personally didn't go to an all-girls school. My sister did for a while. Oh, interesting. I did not want to go there, too. Mm-hmm. So I actually had to lobby my parents against the all-girls environment to go to a more of a co-ed environment. And mm-hmm. for me, it wasn't as much. It was just I wanted to be more typical of society. And I also thought they had cooler, uh, you know, technical <laughs> things available in the co-ed school yeah and turn that was my interest so yeah. that was part of my my drive there so my sister and I both then switched schools to go to the co-ed Catholic high school instead of the all-girls school oh, okay so that was a choice we made right um, but I have heard and read and I, I look at it with interest where some people believe being in the all-girls environment encourages girls to speak up more mm-hmm. you know I I I can't say if I have an opinion on it or not. Maybe for some women that works well. Mm-hmm. Other women, maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah. I do think, you know, at the end of the day, we do work in, you know, environments with men and women. So one right. of these days you got to get. <laughs> That's right. You got to yes. get used to it. Yeah. So I'm not sure. It Maybe there's a, a point in time where you need a little extra you know, nurturing. I think so. I think that's kind of a piv- pivotal time in a young woman's life. Right. And if you can develop that that voice and confidence at that age, then it will carry you when you, you know, go out into the world and have to deal with men and all their right. exactly. <laughs> all so, their stuff. So I don't think I would consider that for my little ones unless I felt, you know, there was something that happened that made me think they would need that type of special attention. Yeah. Now, I, <clears throat> I know you have two daughter twins. Mm-hmm. Are they two? They're not quite two. Not quite two. Not quite two. Are you seeing differences in them? Off the, I'm sure you are. From the moment they were born. Right. So they're very different personalities. Um, super adorable, of course. I think they're both, you know, cute. Cutest and they, they switch ever. a lot, too. So the one that I thought was a little more assertive is now a little more quiet. And the other one, oh, you know, so they do sometimes switch, but very, very different personalities. Yeah. Um, that's always amazing to me. You do see it from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um and then it's so exciting to watch the development as they get older. Do they stay with what you <clears throat> assumed they were going to be? Um, I I say often that I think there's a big difference between confidence and self-esteem. And confidence to me is being able to go into a room and present and engage with people and, you know, um, go to school and get a degree. Self-esteem is really more that internal voice the belief, that says maybe. what you're doing is right. of value mm-hmm. and that you're smart enough. What are your what are your feelings on that? And and did you always have confidence and self-esteem or did 
was one stronger than the other. You know, it's interesting that you bring up the the difference that way, because I don't know if I've ever contemplated, but I think you're probably right. Where self-esteem, you really truly have to believe, you know, in your own self. And I think it's probably easier to be confident when you have self-esteem. But right. confidence probably could be, you know, portrayed. Yes. Even the, the if you don't. The imposter syndrome, they right. call that. Yes. Right. Even though maybe you don't quite feel that way inside. Yeah. Um, you know, I've always probably been a little bit more confident just because when I was a young girl, you know, I was good at academics. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps make you feel a little more. It does. Ready to go. Feeling smart. Right. But, um, and that was encouraged and, and sort of applauded by teachers and things like that. So mm-hmm. that sort of helped um, keep me on that track. But there's always moments, even today, where I'm like, you know, I'm not sure if I know exactly what to say at this moment, or I get a little nervous, you know, before a certain type of presentation, but then I always bang it out. Yeah. So I think that's where, um, you know, it's normal for everybody to have that feeling. But I think I've been blessed with a a decent dose of self-esteem and confidence. Yeah. What, uh, is there someone, who do you go to when you, you know, you have to make a business decision? And you're struggling and you kind of feel like you want to speak to somebody more, you know, somebody who is closer to you on a personal level. Who do you go to? Um, So I have a lot of options, which is great. Um, Whenever I'm not entirely sure, I'm very data driven. So I always look for facts first. And I might even ask my team, hey, what do you guys think? Mm -hmm. So I'll even get, you know, people who work for me. What do they think? Get their input. Um, Colleagues get their input. But if it sounds like you're talking about more of a personal moment. Where yeah. And in other words, is there somebody in your life that's a go to person when you, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're struggling with a decision? Is there somebody that you go to? Um, not just one person. Yeah. Um, but there's certainly a number of colleagues in the forum, you know, of executive women yes. that I mentioned where yes. I can go and say, hey, what would you do in this situation? Pick up the phone and call them. Yeah. And be able to, to get that insight. What are, can you talk about some of the things that the forum is focusing on right now in particular? Any events coming up and. Yeah, so the forum I mentioned, we have a big mentoring program, so mm-hmm. we are attempting to keep that pipeline. So I think uh, one of our big focuses, well, how do we get more women on boards and more women in executive positions? Right. And we realize that it starts way back when in what we call the pipeline. And, you know, everybody talks about the leaky pipeline, that, you know, there's equal numbers of men and women, then all of a sudden the women just sort of disappear. Yeah. You don't know where they go. So they don't- <laughs> They're just gone. Well, that doesn't sound good because that sounds like they're giving up. We can't give up, right? Right. Well, and some of them do. And so that's why we're into how do we give that moment of encouragement or show examples of other women where they are less inclined to do that yeah, and jump off the path and continue on. And part of it is um, in some of our work that we look at, part of it is companies having policies that women can work with. Mm -hmm. So sometimes women are just like, I can't, this environment's just too inflexible. I just can't do it. Everything that's important to me, I can't make it work in this environment. So the more flexible I think a company is, the easier it is for women to make the choice to stay. And then it's almost like that personal inside of having that confidence, that self-esteem that we talked about. And that's where the mentoring comes in. Yeah. To give them that encouragement. Um, Since you are into metrics and and Mm -hmm. analytics and numbers, can you speak to, I know there's, you know, just numerous studies out there Mm -hmm. and studies being done that speak to why it's important to have a diverse, diversity at the top. Talk, you know, for the listeners to under, have a better sense of why is it important to have more women on boards? Statistically, talk about some of the studies. So there's been numerous studies, too, almost too many to count at this point, mm-hmm. which have analyzed the performance of companies where there were more women on their boards or less women on the boards. And statistically significant results saying that those that had more diverse boards had better outcomes. And not just like in the warm and fuzzy outcomes, but like made more money outcomes. Right. So that right. gets people's attention. <laughs> right. Right. People. Yeah. Well, the right. men start to. Right. Perk hey, up. I want to make about money. numbers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I think there's also it's the right thing to do 
concepts as well, where, you know, a number of companies, their consumers are women, and they want to make sure that they're representing sort of their consumer factions as right. well. Yes. So there's all these pieces kind of thrown into the pie. And so everybody at this point, I think, agrees that it would, you know, for the most part, be better mm -hmm. to have more women on the board. Then it's a question of, well, great. How does this happen? Right. <laughs> that, right. Exactly. So but early on, I remember when that case wasn't quite yet proven and it was more just was this just the right thing to do or we want our consumer base to be reflective of our board. Right. And the business case was a little less defined. But now, you know, we're sort of way beyond that in the yeah. business cases and many, you know, famous firms like McKinsey and some of the banks have done studies that have, have proven that out. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think that those results need to be more out there, number mm -hmm. one, and a little more simplified so that people can understand it. Because it's not about a feel good, you know, it's fair. It, You know, um, I think I, I don't like to hear when they say it's not fair that there's not as many women. Right. It really is A little is squishier, more, right? So yeah, now yeah. it's about um, these firms provided more shareholder value. You know, their stock prices went up. They mm -hmm. generated more growth. Yeah. You know, so it's those kind of metrics that are business outcomes that then are important to everybody. Yeah. And it should be out there on, you know, in all across all levels. Mm -hmm. In other words, it, it's exposure, I think, that needs to be heard by especially young, young students, you know, who are about to go in, out into the workforce. Um, and like you said, really much, much earlier on, sometimes it's a little bit too late to be talking about talking to executives. The train has left the station. Exactly. Right. It's it's too late. And that's why I'm saying back in the sandbox, you know, you need to do some things yeah. to get, uh, you know, the women to have the confidence and also the interest in fields that are maybe traditionally more male dominated. Right. So that that matters. And so, you know, now we have another problem, which is let's say everybody's convinced this is the right thing to do. How do you make it happen? Mm -hmm. <laughs> when, really, when it's been so many years that it hasn't. And our pipeline has, you know, there's a couple different issues. One is the pipeline does start to fall apart way before the point that we're discussing. Right. In terms of, you know, wanting women to be in these places. And then the second thing is there are also available pools of women that have made that leap and are up there but are not being tapped. And why yes. is that? Yes. So... I would love your take on that. In other words, I think um, there's there's barriers for sure. And there's, um, you know, historically things have been a certain way. Um, how much do you think is women holding themselves back? And how much is it of just, you know, uh, if, if, if there's more men at the top and they're kind of handing their clients back to the next man who, you know, they feel thinks and works like them, what, what do you think the difference is there? Or how much of it is, is kind of self-inflicted, I guess I should say? Yeah, and self-inflicted is probably a harsh word. Yeah, but I don't mean uh, self <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't want to succeed. But more no. in the sense of, um, I, I it's almost turn it around the other way. How are women not helping themselves get there? There you go. Yeah, right, where right. It, there are positive actions that women can do to manage their own careers and move forward. Mm -hmm. And one of my big messages that I talk about when I talk to groups of women is do not wait for somebody to hand you something. Because mm -hmm. frankly, it'll never happen. That's right. Right? Yeah. That's more likely to happen in the scenario you just laid out where, uh, you know, somebody's been mentoring a, you know, a man-to-man, -man, let's say they play golf all the time, and it's sort of a natural relationship. Um, don't wait for people to hand you things. So take control of your career. If you want to move to a different level, talk to your boss. How can I get there? What yeah. do I have to do? What roles do I need? And mm -hmm. sort of push the envelope. Um, several times in my career, I've been promoted only for the sheer reason that I said something. You asked, right? Right. Ask for And not it. that I was like, hey, I want to be promoted. It was more in the sense of um, a role opened up. Nobody naturally looked at me because, you know, of all the, we can, uh, I guess, pontificate on all the reasons why this, you know, they wouldn't have naturally picked me. Um, and I said, hey, you know, I think I 
could do that. Yeah. Take the initiative, right, right, to ask for it. And then, you know, they kind of looked and thought about it, and I gave all the reasons why, and they're like, you know, hey, maybe this makes sense. And mm-hmm. then that's how I would, you know, I would got a couple of my roles were yeah. not necessarily handed to me. Yeah. I think that's one of the best pieces of advice. Raise your hand. I say volunteer. I'm interested. I'm interested right. in this. And, and, you know, I think men are better at that, too. I, I just see naturally, even on my own teams, um, the guys are always banging on my door and saying, hey, I'd like to do this and I want to do that. Whereas... Um, you know, the women might wait for me to notice how great they are at their jobs. Yeah. And they are. Right. And so are the guys, too. Right. Just, but we're, uh, you're busy, right? Everyone's busy. And mm-hmm. so if you don't speak, you know, people aren't kind of always looking out for what everyone's aspirations are. They're thinking about what they have to get done that day. Exactly. So, yes. And I think people assume we have a better machine than we do in right. terms of, like, understanding your capabilities and this role's open and just there's a match. It's exactly. more like, hey, who can I think of that's going to be great at this? Yeah. <laughs> and that's really how it happens. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me, do you have any, um, you know, uh, thoughts about doing Anything different down the road? Um, you've been at Aramark for how many years? Three. Three. Um, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want you to say, yes, I want to leave Aramark. I'm leaving today. <laughs> no, and I'm very happy at Aramark. It's a great company. And, I'm talking about yeah. dreams, aspirations right. of, of pursuing something different in the so, future. You know, my I'm already planning my second career once I retire. So, you know, I plan to be in the corporate world for as long as I can. Yeah. And hopefully that'll be up to, you know, sort of a retirement age. But mm-hmm. my dream next job is I want to be a corporate board member. And okay. so I already sit on a couple boards now. Yes. And, uh, you know, my goal is to build that resume and build the right corporate experience because the two go hand in hand mm-hmm. to then when I retire, you know, be able to do some board work. Yeah. Is there a certain area of interest for you where you want to make a difference? Um, because there's a lot of board, you know, there's a lot of boards that so like different you, industries. Yeah, um, not really. Like, I'm just like the rest of my career. I don't really have any particular, you know, industry or, or interest as long as it's something where I can add value mm-hmm. and help that company move forward and, and move in a different direction and yeah. uh, or a better direction, I guess I should say. Yeah. And the boards I sit on now, I love the experiences that I have with them. And um, I think it's important. I do balance. I have some charitable work that I do as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As well as just, the corporate yeah, stuff. What is the charitable yeah. work that you do? Um, so usually I pick a certain area of interest, you know, at one point in my career, I was into the arts, mm-hmm. um, still love the arts, of course, but now I, uh, I sit on a hospital board, so I'm in the healthcare sort of space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, just learning about different industries and being able to, it, it's all about adding value. Can I contribute something to help this organization or this company? Yeah. You're interesting to me just because your interests are so varied and, right. and, and uh, you know, you just want to make a difference. Right. Right. You want to help um, companies, businesses, people move forward, succeed. Um, that's a great quality. Thank you. Tell me what you do. Now, it's not all fun and games and it's mm-hmm. it's hard and it's stressful, again, especially when you're in the type of position you're in. What do you do to de-stress? What do you When you're not working, what do you enjoy doing? So I do make a point to work out every day. You do? Okay. I do. I like to keep fit. I mean, I have two young babies. and You're I'm running a, after. Right. And I'm a little older. So, you know, I'm like, I got to keep my, my strength up here. So yeah. I do work out every day. That's my time to keep my, you know, it's like a Zen health thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do work a lot. So during the week, it's probably all work, uh, you know, a little bit of, you know, playing with the babies and uh, working out. And then on the weekend, I might do some social activities. Yeah. Does your brain ever shut off? You're very disciplined, you know, mm-hmm. and I can see and focused. Do, do you ever just kind of, 
when you're working out, are you thinking about business or are you able to kind of let it go? Oh, you know, my brain drifts all over the place. You know, I'm to, <laughs> or to uh, you know, there might be a work thing I'm thinking about. There might be, uh, you know, what groceries am I going to order online? You know, I'm, I'm like all over the place with that. But I do, I shut it off quite neatly. I sleep, you know, I'm a big sleeper. I Good. love to sleep. Good. That's Don't excellent. usually have problems falling asleep. Yeah. A lot of people do. That's mm-hmm. a big thing today. And I think a lot of people are looking to, towards yoga, meditation as a way to kind of really, you know, uh, step away from the information overload. And um, it's, it's a tough, I think it's a tough for, for our kids' generation. When I say our kids, my kids are in college. Um, it's a lot more busy and complicated than when I was growing up in the 70s. Right. And we have such knowledge of, of everything, what's going on every day in every place in the world. Um, how do you feel about that? In other words, part of internet and social media and all of that, um, what is your take on that? Do you think it's good? Do you think it's bad? I think it is, right? So it's not like, um, the, the point I worry about is what to do with my own little ones. Yeah. You know, and when are they going to, you know, I, I agonize they're not even two. And I'm like, they're, I'm sure when they're four, they're going to be like, mommy, I want a cell phone. You know, I'm going to be like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really? So I mean, when, you know, how do you control the technology? Yes, um, yes. I've always been a fan of technology. Mm-hmm. You know, I was playing video games for hours on end. My mother would rip the cartridges out, you know, to get me to stop. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit of a balance for me as to what's, you know, what's the right mix of that. But yeah. it is. It's the society we live in. And how do we integrate yet not lose you know, the pieces that make us humans. Yeah, because I agree. I have always in, enjoyed, you know, technology and the ability to be able to connect with people mm-hmm. more than just, you know, the people on your street. Um, but there's then there's influences. And as a parent, you know, think about your your two little girls. I can't even imagine what it is going to be like when you know yeah. they're in high school and college technologically. What the heck is going to be going on? Right. And I hear the stories of Snapchat and I'm like, oh, good God, what are they going to be, you know, sending? And yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the only thing I am grateful for is having a technical background. I assume I can have, you know, at least outsmart them in yeah. terms of the things they'll try to get away with. You'll be one step ahead of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> if there was one thing that you could, you know, for your daughters in particular, that you that culturally would be different when they are teenagers, is there is there one thing that you think about? You know, I just hope that I'm able to give them the right guidance and support so that they are confident young women. You know, I just really, I, I don't want them to be the type of young women that are you know, uh, questioning themselves, mm-hmm. feeling like they're not good enough, you know, that type of thing. So I really am trying to build that that confidence in them so they feel like they can really go out and do anything. And it's not like I really care what they do. I just want them to be happy and sort of contributing, you know, to society in some meaningful way. Yeah. Something that means something to them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that at the end of the day isn't, you know, if, if we're all, um, you know, you have to do something for a living, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're doing what what is really important to you, that's the best. I think what for you, you will be an example to your girls, right? So they have these years to watch you go out and not only be working, but be a leader in your role. Um, tell me, it, uh, in your mentorship program through the forum, um, is there a story in particular where you saw someone... Um, go through the program and actually come out on the other end with, you know, some type of successful outcome? Always, right? Um, you know, it's interesting. It, it, it goes back to that thing we were talking about earlier where it sometimes just takes this tiny little nudge uh, because I've had many women, even if it wasn't through the formal mentorship where you go through this long program, mm-hmm. um, where you just gave a speech or, or said something. And I can't tell you the number of young women who then email me afterwards, or and men too, it's not just women, and he'll say, hey, you said X, Y, and Z, and 
boy, that really meant something to me. And I went and did, you know, this and I had this great outcome. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't really do that much. You know, I just said like one thing. But it just shows me the power of those little moments. Yeah. I, I love the stories of, are, are you familiar with career wardrobe yes. here in Philadelphia? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and those women in particular. So they're coming from a background where they didn't, you know, maybe have the best start. Right. And, um, and then they meet somebody who says, you know, you can do it. And they go to a whole nother level. Um, are there programs like that that you would like to see um, implemented maybe at our mark? In other words, aside from the diversity inclusion initiatives that are there at the company, are there other programs that you would like to see that extend beyond the employees that are kind of a, a mentor? Yeah, more charitable yeah, in nature, yeah. maybe outside the community. Exactly. Yeah, I think all companies, you know, my company, everybody's company, um, should be, you know, attempting to contribute in some way to improve, you know, our community. Yeah. And Philadelphia is a great microcosm of that. If you look, there's a, you know, I think we have issues with our school system that I would love to see fixed. Mm. Um, Because I feel like, you know, this back to the sandbox thing, it's really just sort of stymieing these bright young minds, you know, so early on. And, you know, maybe closing off some roads that could be available to them later on. So I think that um, I hope every company, you know, and I think a lot of them do. Yeah. Take an interest in, hey, what can we do to help the community and pick the area that fits? Right. You know, could it be the career wardrobe thing, helping these women, you know, be, you know, get ready for their interviews and get ready and and take these new jobs? Yeah. Um, Even some of the social programs that the city has done where they encourage or tax incent companies to hire women who might be working for the first time. And, you know, trying to find that first opportunity um, type of situation. There's a number of ways I think we can all make a difference. Yeah. And and I, I think it does start, you know, you have to start um, as a parent in the mm-hmm. family, in the home, and then it goes out to, to the schools and then it goes into the businesses. Um, I don't know that years ago we had corporate social responsibility, mm-hmm. um, you know, divisions in companies. Now and, it's important. And now it's important. Right. And again, but it, it gets back to the, you know, why it's important, mm-hmm. right? It's not just about fairness. It's important because it, it will lead to success financially, um, and personally. Right. Uh, and I always, you know, some people have the arguments over, well, hey, everybody should really be responsible for themselves. And, yes, you know, and if you don't push yourself forward, well, then heck, you're just going to, yes. you know, the problem is that's going to, you know, it's pay now or pay later in my mind. So then those people aren't going to have the best opportunities. They're not going to contribute the best they could to society. And then there could have some negative outcomes to that. And to me, I think we should all attempt to help our communities. Yeah. What, and I wanted to ask you about that. There, you know, what is the pushback? You know, when people say it really is all about self responsibility, and if you don't take initiative for yourself and for your life, then whatever happens is really on you. Right. What do you say to people that have that kind of mindset? I mean, I think there's. It's all about balance, right? I mean, I, I certainly think um, people should take responsibility for themselves and should attempt to progress themselves forward. But there are times when the circumstances that surround them don't allow them to do that. And that's really where I think we should focus our attention on is, hey, there are people who want to do these things and they can't for whatever reason. So let's figure out how to remove those barriers or open those doors or, you know, those pieces of it. Um, Because I think you have to balance both sides. You do. You do. And, and, And some people come to circumstances completely out of their own control. Mm-hmm. Um, other other people make bad choices, but we all make bad choices. And, you know, everybody makes have mistakes. an opportunity to start over. Right. Yeah. Um, we only have a few minutes left. I wanted to know when your daughters get a little bit older and they come to you for advice, um, just general life advice. You know, they're dealing with the, um, you know, teenage stuff. 
all that personal stuff that gets in the way of where they're headed. <laughs> what are some of the things you're going to say to them um, as a mother and a woman who has been a leader to help them find that self-esteem? I mean, I, you know, I, so I play these scenarios in my mind and right now they don't even talk. So right. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it's going to happen. And I know that as teenagers, some of it's probably not going to be that fun. Right. right. So I, I know there's going to be some moments where we I'm going to be like, We have to prepare for those right. times. You can't just be winging it. I just hope that at that time I do what's best for them. And I know that I'll, you know, rely on my own life experience. And I'm mm-hmm. definitely going to try to guide them to be strong women who have the ability to chart their own path. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to be my guiding mind and also being true to themselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not going to push them to be, you know, doctors or lawyers or whatever I want them to be. I want to see what their natural abilities are and encourage them to follow their own passions. Right. Um, And if it happens to be, you know, one of those professions, awesome. If not, then I really want to nurture them for themselves, but have them be confident. And uh, I just think it's so important to be able to follow your life's passion. Mm Mm-hmm. And something that means something to you, like not just to go through the motions because you feel you have to. Yeah. And and you can be sh- a strong woman and be in any field. Right. So, right, you can be in the creative field. and every, every area needs somebody to make a difference. So it's not like one is necessarily more important than the other. Yeah. But I was going to ask you about um, your colleagues and the women that work for you directly. Um, do you feel that they are able to come to you with their own, you know, if, if somebody just beneath you is looking to be promoted, mm-hmm. do they come to you with those aspirations? Yes. Or do you find that you have to reach out and encourage them too? Um, it depends on the woman. Yeah. Some of them are great at, here's what I want to do and help me get there. And probably more like me, mm-hmm. you know, where I was like, hey. <laughs> um, and some of them don't. And But it usually manifests its way in another, the aspiration is there. Um, but some of them just aren't as forward to ask for it. And that's yeah. where I sort of encourage them on, hey, here's what you should do to get it done. So there's some of it's more of a push and others more of a pull. Yeah. Depends on the distinct personality of the person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what would you say to the listeners um, if there's a woman who is working in a corporate setting right now mm-hmm. and she knows that she's deserving of that next spot um, and she just can't raise her hand? Just go raise your hand. (laughs) It's as simple as that. Like, so I I always say to women, first of all, do the best job you possibly can, because then when you go raise your hand, you have a great business case. So that's number one. Um, Number two, don't be afraid. What's the worst thing that can happen? Right. Somebody's going to say no, big deal. Yeah. Then you're in the same situation you are today, but just, you know, do it and test it out on maybe somebody you feel a little more comfortable with Mm -hmm. and then just go, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I was just on vacation the other week and. We were at the falls and I was supposed to jump off a ledge into the water. And I was like, oh, I really don't want to do this. And then I just closed my eyes and jumped off. Just do it. Just do it. Right. Yeah. And and, and if it's not, you know, if, if you fail, you start over. Right? right. You're in the same place you were before. Exactly. Exactly. All great advice, Autumn. Thank you so much for Thank coming you. in today and, and sharing your life story and, and some great advice for women. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. If you'd like to um, connect with me, feel free to reach out to my website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. Have a great week, everyone.